The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And it's all about the rock and roll today. We're hearing the story of one of the last huge true rock and roll tours, the Blood, Sweat and Beers tour of 1991 with Warrant, Firehouse and Trickster. It was the summer tour of 91 when it wrapped that October. Became one of the top 10 highest grossing tours of the year. It was Warrant's first headlining tour of that size. Firehouse's first big tour and Trickster had already been on the road for seven months when they got invited to open. They played with Kiss and Scorpions, so they were uh, more road ready. None of the bands knew each other before the tour started in May, but as you'll hear, uh, they all became uh, best friends. It's some pretty funny stories about how they spent their time together on the road, talking about the after show hangouts they do with fans at local clubs and the towns, pranks they pulled on each other at the end of the tour, Janie Lane's video game addiction, and the time Rob Halford. Uh, came to see them in Phoenix. We've got Eric Turner from Warrant, Bill Leverty from Firehouse, and Steve Brown and PJ Farley from Trickster here to tell us all about that crazy tour and how the rise of grunge and bands like Nirvana, Alice in Chains, and Pearl Jam uh, basically put them all out of business by the very next tour cycle. Such a crazy rise and fall. So the Blood, Sweat, and Beers tour is coming up. And so is the new episode of the Winnipeggers, Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern on my YouTube channel and my Facebook page. Check it out. Uh, we are going to talk about heroic moments. Uh, so let's see what you think about that. And thanks to everyone who uh, stayed up for the special late edition of the Saturday Night Special after the all-out pay-per-view. I appreciate you guys waiting for me to get cleaned up after the Mimosa Mayhem match. Uh, yeah, I was doused. My boots were squelching. Uh, but we had a great time uh, at the show. And we're going to do it again uh, this Saturday, uh, hopefully at our usual time at 9 p.m. Eastern on Facebook Live, my f- official YouTube channel. Uh, stay tuned for more announcements about that and stay tuned right now for getting our rock and roll on with warrant trickster and firehouse it's the blood sweat and beers tour right here on talk is jericho one of the uh coolest rock and roll tours of all time for a specific genre of music party rock late 80s rock whatever you want to call it was the blood sweat and beers tour which was uh, 1991, about the fall. It was Warrant, Trickster, and Firehouse. Uh, friends with some of the guys, wanted to be friends with the other guys, decided it'd be a great time. Now they're all under the quarantine to uh, have a little bit of reunion. So we've got uh, Eric Turner from Warrant is here, and uh, Bill Leverty from Firehouse, and then two mooks from New Jersey, Steve Brown and PJ Farley from uh, Trickster are here. Oh, wait. 
Oh, wait. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Is this the first time you guys have been on the same conversation in the same room uh, in a while, maybe even since the, that tour? No, no. We've had, we, we run into each other quite often, as it turns out. Um, but not in the last uh, good year or so, I'd say. But And that's probably been the longest that we've been apart in quite some time. But um, as always, it's always good to hear from these boys. It's one of those things where when you have this this genre of music, because it's interesting, like I said, we can just kind of go right into it. When you talk about that time frame of being kind of the, f- the fall of 91, it was kind of the peak in a lot of ways for all three of your bands. But right around the corner was lurking the, uh, the monster known as Grunge and, and Nirvana. It's amazing how close this tour was. To, to that style of music just completely taking over everything. I remember when we when we were in L.A. on the Warren tour, which was one of the last stops, we went to, uh, what was it, Geffen Records to, you know, just say hello to some people and, of course, raid their closets for some music and whatnot. And everyone got a Nirvana CD and we were like, the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> Little do we know. That that CD is the grunge equivalent of the coronavirus for, <laughs> for hair metal. <laughs> Eric Turner, Eric Turner with the lead, he coming in hot. So <laughs> that was our coronavirus, boys. Yeah, isn't there a story, Eric? If I recall, reading probably, uh, I don't know, somewhere where you guys went into the record company where you know one. One time you went there, had a warrant picture on the wall, and then the next time you went, it was basically a Pearl Jam picture on the wall or something on those lines. Yeah, actually, it was uh, Janie Lane, uh, rest in peace, brother. He uh, he would go to visit Donnie Einer in New York, and so the first year he went, they had the Dirty Rotten poster above his in his office, above his desk or whatever. And then the second year he went again for the same meeting, whatever, and Cherry Pie was up there. And then uh, when it came time for us to put out Doggy Dog, we went to New York and there was a big Alice in Chains poster behind Donnie's, <laughs> Donnie's uh, death. So the writing was literally on the wall. As a Firehouse uh, contributor here, we uh, Epic Records was, was the label we were lucky to be on and um, Pearl Jam was on our label or we were on their label or whatever you want to call it. And mm-hmm. And we, we went up to the office uh, when we released our second record, and that's what happened was the, the Pearl Jam record was on the wall. And we, just like PJ said, we, you know, we got a bunch of the CDs that they gave, and they gave us that CD. And, uh, and what's weird about that record is that nothing really happened with that record. It was out for 10 months before it, you know, they had a single that was released that it hit. And we listened to it, and we were like, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, well, a little quick story too on regarding Alice in Chains. We were it was on our first album and we were playing in Seattle and our publisher and our record label asked us if we would put uh, a band called Alice in Chains on the bill. They're all going to fly out from New York and, and want to see them play live. Do you mind putting them on your show? Because we were playing at like the Paramount Theater or something like that in Seattle. So the night they got signed, Alice in Chains, ironically, they opened for a Warrant and Danger Danger. Wow! Wow! Yeah. <laughs> also, a little known fact: they 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 toured. Uh, I think they opened. They did 
Poison Tour, I think, right before we jumped on with them, I think. That's right. They did. Well, it's interesting, though, because when you talk about the bands that were coming up, once again, the record companies just, are just trying to promote their bands. But if you're going in like 91, Warrant had already had two very successful records and Firehouse and Trickster had put out two amazing debut records. Um, it's almost like if Trickster and Firehouse would have came, come out the same time that Warrant did in, in 88, 89, definitely would have been kind of along the same level of, of being able to headline arenas and, and do all these huge tours because you guys came out of the gates, both your bands, really with a lot of steam, both Firehouse and Trickster. I try not to think about that too hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Chris, for pouring salt on the wound. That, that really feels good. So what do you think? So what I think Chris is saying is that the Blood, Sweat, and Beers tour would have been a stadium tour in 1988 had we all come out at the same time. You know? Right. Multiple nights. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, I love it, though. It's a great thought to think about. And that's my point, though, as, as being a, a big fan. Like, I never really got into grunge until a few years later because I liked this type of music, and I liked Iron Maiden. I liked Judas Priest. I liked Ozzy, and I didn't like you know kind of these new interlopers coming in. But the tour at the time, and you could give us a little insight on this, Eric. What was the mindset? Because Warren, was this kind of your first headlining tour of this size? Oh yeah, yeah, it definitely was. We had when we started the Cherry Pie tour, we went out with Poison and we did like seventy-two shows. And uh, that show, that tour ended abruptly. Janie would go on the uh, the PA stacks every night, and you know he did that for seventy shows or whatever. And then one day. That one day they're like, hey, you can't go on the PA stacks. And so Jamie's like, well, I'm going to go up there anyway. So he did and caused a little drama. And then the next night we you know, were opening for Poison and they put up these like plyboard things up there so he couldn't <laughs> go up there. So Joey and Jamie started tearing them down during the show. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, and so those guys were really pissed, which, you know, it looking back you know we should have just respected their uh, their wishes but whatever Janie Janie and you know Joey did what they did and we just went home that night and <laughs> cut that tour short but it, it was 72 shows and then then we went and did an MTV uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin Club tour on the East Coast and then we went to Europe with David Lee Roth and then that Janie fell through a stage or something and we had to cancel, Jeez. you know, six weeks of shows with that. And then by that time we're like, well, let's get, let's just go out. Our manager used to own concerts West, which is with Jerry Weintraub and all this stuff. He's been promoting concerts for 30 some years. And he's like, let's just do our own tour and we'll do like a $10 ticket or $15 ticket and uh, keep it low dough and let's just go play sheds. And that's what we did. And it worked out great. Hell Yeah. How about for you, Bill, with Firehouse? Was this one of your first big tours? Oh, absolutely. We we hadn't uh, seen audiences that big ever, um, unless we were in the audience. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so yeah, it was it was huge for us. Uh, we we had done some theaters and stuff were were kind of the biggest stuff that we had done before that. And obviously, and Steve and PJ Trickster had a lot of big tours. Was this after those those tours that you had done? Yeah, this was like uh, this was like our final run of the country on that first record. And who else did you toured with at that time? Well, we started out with uh, our very first tour. But we we did a short headlining club tour just to basically put the uh, put the wheels on it. And then ten days into that, we got a call to do the Striper tour. And right from that, we went right to Don Dockin's solo tour. And right from that, we did a short uh, stint with Poison. 
And then right from that, we went to the Scorpions for like three months or so. And I then, saw uh, you guys on that tour. You did. You guys, you guys came to, uh, I remember the summit in Houston, right? Oh, I saw you in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Houston, yeah. Charlotte. What's the difference? Exactly. <laughs> hey, in the South. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it was an incredible, it was an incredible time, Chris, because you know, for all the bands, you know, I think I'll speak for all of us. We were riding this, you know, the, the 80s hard rock wave. And uh, little did we know that it was slowly coming to an end. So by the time we started the Blood, Sweat and Beers tour, which started in, I think, the end of May of 1991, you know, Trickster, we had already been out on the road for a good, I'm going to say, probably seven months. More and than that, um, yeah. Yeah, we, we got into this tour, and I remember the first show, we started in Bismarck, North Dakota, <laughs> and um, it was right out of the gate, it, I think the first show was sold out, and it just continued, and it seemed like it was a snowball in the sense that as it went on, you know, the tour started in the, in the spring, and then every week it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And uh, and then I remember, I remember, I think it was either mid July or August when we hit. I think it was when we hit like Milwaukee and Chicago, and those were the biggest shows on the tour, where it was like 30, 40. I think yeah. Chicago was forty five thousand people at the world. Wow! And it yeah. was like, man, no one in the business thought that this tour was going to really do anything, and it turned out we were like the Rocky of the rock tours. Hmm. You know, we went out. <laughs> it was it was a top ten grossing tour for Polestar and it was just I you know like I said it was one of those things it was where we never thought in a million years and granted we were certainly numb from all the booze and the partying that we were doing <laughs> we never <laughs> knew how big it was going to be until I mean lo and behold until the crash when we looked back on it we went holy shit it was the last big rock tour of the 80s hard rock scene and thank that. God! Thank God that was our last our last tour of that run too. Our our, our livers <laughs> were uh, in fighting shape. By that. Yeah. Thank God we didn't start with that one, right? The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a seventy yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Did you guys know each other before this tour? Had your bands cross paths? No, no. Not necessarily, really, no. No. We didn't, we didn't have time to. Right. You know, we were all just so busy, and, you know, so there was uh, not a lot of downtime we're just socializing everybody we, be, we became yeah we became fast friends that's that's for sure on that tour yes absolutely well because when, when you go on tour sometimes the bands seem to stick with their own tribes it seems but for this tour uh, it's it seems and sounds and feels like that wasn't the case yeah that, no. was, the, that was the exact opposite we couldn't i couldn't get we couldn't wait to get away from our own bands and go hang out with some of the other, <laughs> other bands on this tour I rode the Warrant bus uh, a couple of times. Some of them I remember. Some of them uh, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I uh, when uh, when 
uh, PJ joined the tour, he didn't. He was still a virgin. His skin was had no ink <laughs> on it. And I, I bought uh, PJ his first tattoo, and uh, that's right. Yeah. Now I thought, was that now? I remember this one particular night I, I rode with you guys, and this was after a night of drinking, and me, you, Lane, and Jerry sat at the front lounge table, and we're like, all right, we're having a drinking contest, and well, let's see how many shots PJ can do. And <laughs> Lane was like, PJ. I guarantee he's going to puke. I'll give you $500. And then you were like, he's not going to. No, Eric, you were like, he's going to puke after a certain amount of shots. And if he does, buy the best steak dinner you ever had. And Lane's like, I'll give you three or 500 bucks if you don't puke. <laughs> and we sat and I, we had the tequila bottle. And I was just, we were going shot for shot, all of us. And I remember sitting on my knees in front of the, bat, the, the garbage going, I'm doing this one right here. And you guys were smacking the table going, don't puke, puke, don't PJ, you can do it. PJ, puke, do it. And I, I got it down midway through my throat and then out back it came and everybody yeah. was screaming. Yeah, we always... We had on the warrant bus. We had a we prided ourselves every time we had a friend come from the road or another band or or, or anybody on this tour. It didn't matter who it was. Anybody that's normally not on our bus and they're riding on our bus, we're gonna make goddamn sure they puke. <laughs> and the yeah. best thing about that night was, I I remember we're sitting at that front lounge table and then Joey comes back from the back lounge, stumbles like a bowling ball. It goes into the bathroom, then it goes back into the back lounge. And Dixon was passed out in the front lounge couch. Meanwhile, we would shake him awake and just give him the bottle of Jack. He'd get up, take a swig of Jack, go back to sleep. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Gator, your bus driver, we stopped at a truck stop. And he goes, who the f*** puked in my bathroom? And everyone thought it was me. I'm like, I didn't even puke in the bathroom. I puked right here where I'm sitting. <laughs> and it was Joey. Made a huge uh, mess. I had Gator yelling at me. I'm like, I puked right in front of everybody. No way, man. <laughs> yeah, Joey Joey would sleepwalk sometimes. I don't know if you call it sleeping, passed out, and then turn into a zombie. And he'd just get out of his bunk, and he'd walk halfway down the aisle, whip his dick out, and just start peeing like on a, on a bunk or the carpet. Or So every the first time he did that, he peed on Steven's bunk one night. And uh, so every time Joey got up after that, we're like, oh, fuck, is, who, is, who, who's going to pee on somebody? What's going on now? <laughs> Were all you guys traveling on buses, even Trickster and Firehouse? Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Is big major label money at that point, right? We were set. We're at the, We were all self sufficient on by that point. You know, we were like, well, I know we were off tour support by that point. We were yeah. stupidly paying for our own bus. Yeah, Firehouse <laughs> never got any tour support from our our label. They never gave us any money for touring. We had to go out and make it work on our own. We started off in a van, then we got the cheapest bus that we could find, and. I believe we were able to get to, to graduate to the next to last bus uh, on the pole <laughs> by the time we got out there with, with those guys. So we, we never got any tour money from, from our label. That's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Didn't have to pay it back. Oh, oh yeah. I was just going to say, although you don't have to pay back the, the tour support if you don't, if you don't sell a lot of records. So right. maybe you should have took it. Maybe you should have took a million dollars for tour support. <laughs> <laughs> exactly but at this point in time said trickster's first record went gold did firehouse's first record go gold too bill yeah uh, it did at that time thanks to that tour um it actually went platinum during that time wow and it's it's over double platinum now i think that first record is uh 
Yeah, it's, it might be almost three. So, and didn't, didn't you guys get a Mu- American Music Award or something like that? Too? We got an American Music <laughs> Award that year, and um, it's really yeah. cool. That was that was pretty awesome. Yeah, thank you. And then what about Cherry Pie, Eric? Was it platinum, double platinum? Uh, double platinum. I sold about two and a half million in the U.S. And then you know we had platinum in Canada and some stuff like that. But uh, yeah, most of our sales really are in the good old Midwest of the United States. Oh yeah. Those are our people. Well, it's great too, because I just watched um, over the last few days, the, the pay-per-view that you guys did from, from the Cajun dome, been there many times, Lafayette, Louisiana, uh, not in the South, definitely. Well, I guess not in the Midwest, but in, in, in the South in New Orleans area, Louisiana area, that place was packed. Yeah. Awesome. That was a fun night. A little nerve wracking because we were, you know, recording and you're like, ah, shit, I don't want to make too many mistakes. <laughs> Cause it's going we had all the on, gear on, breakdown you know, on us. Yeah. Most of the nights, you know, every night you <clears throat> go out there and just drink, drink, party, have a good time. Not really worry too much about what you're playing. Of course you always want to play good, but and there's <laughs> something about knowing when you're recording and just tightens well, you, me up a little bit. <clears throat> yeah. You want to go out there. You want to always play good, but you also want to, you always want to drink good too. you know the thing about recording um is you you get a little nervous when that you know that red light is on but it's even more nerve-wracking for me i don't know about you guys but when there's a camera in your face because not only am i thinking i i I can't you know make a mistake on my guitar which i'm I'm gonna make them every night anyway but i'm overthinking that and then i'm overthinking i gotta look up i can't be looking at my neck oh i gotta Got a smile over here. You know, I, I can't stand now that. I need a cool rock move. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to be known as a shoegazer. <laughs> it seems like watching the the crowd from Louisiana, I'm sure it was the same all across the board. Everyone was just there to have a great party. It seems like all three bands got a great reception. It was, man. It was a it was the perfect blend. It was just like they were there from the minute the doors opened until, you know, the house lights came on. It was a full house all night. Yeah, we had a lot of fun doing. All three bands would would get together at the end of the night and and do "Fight for Your Right" from the uh, the BC Boys, and that yeah. was a lot of fun too. That was an excellent choice. I don't know who decided that. It was it you, Eric? No, no. Well, actually, I can't say for sure. I don't remember, but probably Janie. He's the one that picks the songs. Yeah, that was a good one. I came across great because for people that hadn't seen it, there's four plus four plus five, thirteen guys on stage all playing the same song, which sometimes has a, 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 a tendency to be a train wreck. This was not a train wreck. Sounded great. Every f- singer takes a, a verse. Every guitar player gets a lead. The drummers are even trading off. It was a very cool vibe. I haven't seen that too many times where everybody on the show gets up on stage to, to jam together. Yeah, that's yeah. the kind of tour it was. It was, you know, it was, it was like we would hang out on and off stage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, Jerry... Uh... Michael Foster had never uh, destroyed a hotel room, so Jerry decided I'm gonna I'm gonna take you and buy you a hotel room to destroy. I don't know if you remember that, Bill. I do, and I remember you guys uh, kicked us off the tour the next the next yeah. morning as and, a joke, uh, and I could tell joke, that yeah. Joey Joey couldn't stop you know grinning, so I knew you were just just going with us. But yeah, what happened was I don't know they they destroyed a room. It was like three thousand dollars or something, and. Uh, throwing chairs out the windows and TVs and stuff like that. So the next day we decided to play a trick on firehouse and say, our managers heard about Michael Foster destroying the room. They're really upset. You guys are going to have to leave the tour. 
What about Eric? Trying to do it as serious as possible, you know? Eric, what about the time we were in, I think we were in Memphis and we all, me and you guys went out to the bar, shocker, on a night off. And then we came back and we were, I guess you could say we were inebriated. And we were walking and you guys were staying at the Body Hotel. And I forget if it was Jerry or Joey, somebody jumped up, ripped the awning off the Peabody Hotel in the front of it. Then the three of us, me, you, I think, and Jerry, stood at the top of the stairs in the lobby. There was a set of stairs going down to the bathrooms. And this is a beautiful hotel. And instead of going down the stairs to the bathroom, the three of us stood shoulder to shoulder and peed down the stairs. I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, because I remember because the next day I got that same PJ uh, management wants to talk to you. I'm like, I got that. And I was like, oh, we're getting cooked off the door now. You know, see, I don't have stories like that because back in those days, I just wore depends. <laughs> kind of like today. Yeah, I was going to say, oh, nothing's but... changed, really. I was way ahead of the curve. <laughs> they, were ero- they were ironic back then, but now in necessity. <laughs> yeah, another thing we used to do, or Janie would do, is a lot of times he would have the tour manager, you know, when we got to town, find a rock club that, we, that has bands that we can go hang out at, you know, after the show. And then Janie would actually announce the name of the club. Uh, on stage and say we're going to go party here after oh, the man. show and we would go and sometimes we'd jump up with the house band or we'd always get treated like gold because we just packed the guy's club so he's just giving us all free drinks all night VIP it was a it was a great recipe for a lot of chaos and, and uh, debauchery one of those nights that stands out is I think we we're in Allentown and for some reason I don't know. I don't know if me and Lane were like in the back lounge of your bus playing Nintendo. And of, of course, much like Lane would never stop playing unless he won. So we were late and the runner was taking us to the club. And he said, you know, of course he drank a bottle of Cuervo on stage. And all of a sudden he decided he was driving to the club. And holy <laughs> shit. I never, I was never so scared for my life. He was, it was like the Dukes of Hazard. We were in Pennsylvania, and he was driving. And I swear to God, I'm like, "This is it. The down boys go, and I'm da- I'm going down with them." The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. How about you, Steve? You got any memories from the tour that stand out like that? I I just got to say, you know, the coolest thing about the tour was, again, how... Over probably in about a week or so, you know, it's kind of when you go out on tour with everybody, the band and crew that you feeling each other out. I, what I remember and what I know is considering the fact that we're all still such great friends is that 
how we immediately all bonded. And the tour was much like a traveling barbecue, you know, to where we would just go from city to city. And it was all the bands hanging out with each other, hanging out in the dressing rooms. We never had to ask if we could go into Warren's dressing room. We never had to ask if we had to go into Firehouse's dressing room and vice versa. You know, we'd be we'd be hanging in our dressing room. I remember vividly I had this mobile recording studio out on the road where I was working on songs for the next Trickster record. And like we'd be doing Doing that, and there would be like some, you know, some things I really can't talk about going on right behind me when I'm like, you know, <laughs> doing rough guitar tracks on a song. But that's the way it was, and I think my fondest memory of the whole tour was the fact that everybody got along so great, and and I think that resonated on stage. Like Eric was saying, when we would get up to do "Fight for Your Right," it was like, you know, that was just the that was just the beginning of our night. At the end of Warren's show, it's like, okay, everybody's gonna dry off, and then we're all gonna get in the limos and vans, and we're gonna drive to a club, and we're gonna take it over for the next four hours, <laughs> continue the party. We're gonna get up. I remember so many great nights getting up on stage with the local cover bands, and like Janie would play drums and Eric would be on guitar and PJ would be singing or playing bass and Bill would, you know, it was all of us. It would be like these all-star bands every night. And it was just, to me, it was the coolest thing. And it was a, it was a time in rock and roll. I don't think that'll ever happen again. And again, like I said, I, I thank God that we were, that was the last great tour of that genre. And I thank God that we all got to do it together. And the fact that, you know, most of us, you know, I mean, I guess except Lane, we're all still alive here. And, uh, you know, God bless us all and that we all live through it and that we're here to talk about it because it was, you know, for me, I, it was, certainly was probably one of the most fun times I ever had out on tour, you know, with bar none. And it was that camaraderie between all of the bands, you know, and we genuinely, there was a love between all of us. It was a tour that you hoped get on you like this is the way it's supposed to be you know we we've we've all heard stories every time especially we were the opening act on any arena tour we did so we were always like all right who are we gonna get you know we're we gonna get the guys who don't cross this line don't ask for these passes yada 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 you know how's it gonna be and then from like they like steve said from day one it was just you know it was like we were all one big band yeah, we wanted uh, we we've all toured with bands where they have all these rules or restrictions or cut your sound or <laughs> lights and stuff. We're just like Eric, yeah, Eric, come on, tell us, buddy, what what band what band was that who had all the rules and restrictions? Go ahead. I don't <laughs> remember. <laughs> I'm having a I'm having a senior moment. I can't remember, yeah. but because uh, we, we, we went out on tour with that band after you guys did, so we didn't. But we didn't get any of those rules <laughs> and regulations like you did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you didn't have uh, Janie as your singer, you know. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a wild man. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. The uh, like PJ or uh, Steve was just saying, you know, it wasn't only the bands that got along. You know, looking back now, is you know, I'm still friends with some guys that were on the cruise for for uh, not only our crew but Trickster's crew, Firehouse crew. You know, lifelong friends with crew right. and, and band members and stuff. Um, it's really it's an interesting. At the time, we didn't. You know, we we're just having a good time. Didn't think too much about it. But looking back, it was a pretty special, special tour. Yeah, top to bottom, crew, everything. It was just 
you know, a bunch of guys is having a great summer, <laughs> you know. Well, and, and you guys were fairly young, too. I mean, I'm not, I would assume probably Firehouse as well. But you mentioned earlier that, PJ, I saw they called you perverted juvenile. How old were you, 18? Yeah, I was. I think I turned 19 on that tour. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So he was J- 19 J- when the tour started, and he was 31 when it ended. <laughs> <laughs> My liver was 60. <laughs> How'd that happen? That's for sure. <laughs> when you look back and that you know it's almost like you guys's career like we mentioned earlier started right out of the gate with kiss and scorpions and, and doing this huge tour with warren and you're 18 19 years old did did you think at the time uh, that's just the way that things went and it was always going to be that way or did you did you have a sense of, of of knowing how special it was a little bit of both it it was so natural to me like i'm like yep this is the way it goes but I always felt, and same with the rest of the guys in the band, we always had a pretty good grasp on the reality. And we always knew, hey, it, it's not going to last. It might not last forever. So let's enjoy this. You know, we would always goof around. Like, you know, what was it? We're only, you know, we're one, you know, bad song away from, you know, slinging Slurpees at 7-Eleven. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, we were so blessed that everything was happening so, like consecutively, like, you know, from the time, you know, record deal, record comes out, number one videos, tours, sold out tour. It was just, it was just going up and up and up like a, you know, like a kid who let go of a balloon. Boom. It was just, so it was pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, I was always in the back of my mind prepared for at some point that balloon to pop. <laughs> Is there some certain shows that stand out for you guys as being highlights of the tour for each of you? Well, for me, for me, I, I'd say Red Rocks was was the, the biggest one for me. I'd never seen a, a venue so beautiful and uh, an audience so into it, and um, that that was that was it for me. Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine. I've heard stories, but I, to be there and to be on stage and and just to look out at the way that the place is. It looks like uh, field goal, the, the field goal to heaven. I mean, it's just just a magnificent. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. funny, and actually, right. you guys, you guys got it. I mean, it's such a beautiful venue. I mean, it was sold out. It was a beautiful night. It was like when you when you dream about playing Red Rocks, you want to play on this night. It was like the beginning of October. Mm. It was just gorgeous and firehouse. <clears throat> like you, when you guys went on, man, it was. It just looked so beautiful. It, you could see everybody. And like you know, when it's darker, it's still beautiful. But when you get that, you know, just about sundown, man, it was like YouTube video all over again. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a special. That's for sure. How about you, Steve? I'm going to say, I mean, I, I definitely remember one of my favorite nights on that tour was when we did the World Amphitheater in Chicago. And I think that was, I think that was the biggest I think there was 45,000 people there for that. It was like during the Summerfest thing that we just did in Milwaukee. I think we did Summerfest in Milwaukee was like 30,000 people. And then we did the show. It was a big radio show. And it was part of a festival that fair and summer fair at the World in Chicago. And, uh, you know, from what I was told, there were 45,000 people there. I think we have video and I know PJ has some great pictures from that show. And Mm -hmm. it was just it was just you couldn't. 
there were people, it was endless people. It was that saying, a sea of people. I kid you not, there was a sea of people and it was just, it was magical, man. It was just, and again, there were so many nights that were close to that where it'd be like, we, and I was always, you know, I was always big on the business thing and the numbers, you know, asking, oh, how many people tonight, blah, blah, blah. You know, how many, how many t-shirts did we sell? And it was always really, really cool when you hear like, you know, oh, 20, 26,000 tonight, 24,000. And I remember talking to my tour manager at the, at the world. And he was like, yeah, I think they clocked in like 46,000 people. And it was, it was one of those things, man. It was like, man, we're really, I think it was just one of those moments where I kind of pinched myself and said, we're really doing this. And again, this was a, a tribute, not only to warrant, but it was also to trickster and firehouse that we had this traveling circus of a rock show that was real. It was real. And it was really selling tickets and it was resonating with the people and to be able to play in front of that, you know, that many people. And there were other tours out at the time, which were doing, not doing well. Cause I remember we passed on going out on tour with David Lee Roth, which was really hard for me to pass <laughs> on that tour because I'm like the biggest Van Halen fan in the world. And I remember our manager going, man, you know, David Lee Roth wants you guys. And I was like, holy shit. I think we all were. Yeah. But he was like trying to sell us. And he was saying, I think this Warren tour is going to be much better for you. And they're going to pay you a lot more money. And I was like, well, I think we got to <laughs> go with that. And it turned out, and I think we all, I don't think any of us, I think Eric and Bill will say the same thing. I don't think we, we all envisioned and could ever dream that the tour would be as big as it got. And it just continued, like I said, from day one, the tour just kind of gained momentum and it gained momentum, not only with the bands and the crew, as far as our friendships, but I think all of it, I think the word of mouth of how we all got along as bands and how great the package was. It was one of those things. It was lightning in a bottle that you can only catch once. And we certainly did. And I'm so thankful for it. Yeah. It Likewise. seemed like uh, they just kept adding dates to the tour. I don't know. My memory's not that great, but I thought we were just going to do like six weeks or something. And, yeah. It was like a summer so tour well. that went into went October. Over. Yeah. It went yeah. So well, they just kept adding dates and adding dates and adding dates. Yeah, all the shows were really special for me. I mean, as far as one standing out, it'd probably be the last night of the tour. I think we did in uh, Costa Mesa, at, uh, an amphitheater. There. It's like 13,000 13, people there, and my dad was there, and mom, and you know they got to see uh, the big show and the big crowd, and it was just a great way to uh, to end the tour. Yeah, I think I was covered in flour at the end of our about the end of our. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I was like, we yeah, don't I think need to we, talk about that, do we? <laughs> we were on a, we were on a slippery, oil-covered plastic, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. It's it's one of the the, the tried and true uh, traditions in rock and roll. At least it used to be the end of tour pranks that you pull on the last night of the of of, of the whole run. We had end of leg pranks because it was like we yes. had like two or three legs. So like at the end of each leg. We knew it was coming. So, uh, yeah. Got to just yeah. keep playing. Yeah, man. I remember that, man. Toronto, with a fr at the end of the first leg in mid-July, and we were playing the, you know, the, the amphitheater up in Toronto, and we're playing, and all of a sudden, all this flour comes down on us, man. It was it was. And then brutal. beer. 
Yeah, it was, <laughs> but it was cool. I mean, the Warren it, guys certainly they lived up to you know the rock and roll cliches with all with all of the you know the and again it was part of the camaraderie of all that stuff that you heard about because you know the Scorpions did a little bit of that stuff to us, but not really. But this was the full on sort of rock and roll hazing. You know, welcome to the big rock show. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. It, of it was fun. great, and and the whole tour there was never one crossword spoken that I heard from one band to another, one band member to another, one crew member to another, like, like the other guys who yeah. said, everybody got along great. So when it came time to these pranks that, that came on at the end of the legs of these tours, especially the grand finale at the end, uh, we were all expecting it, but everybody was very respectful of our gear. I remember they, they covered our gear all up in plastic and uh, you know, even my guitar didn't really get, hit that bad but uh, the rest of me was, was pretty bad speak for yourself bill i think they learned that because we were guinea pigs because on that toronto show not only did it take me probably two weeks to get the the flower out of my hair but all of our gear and here's a testament to how good of friends we were at this point we lost a, a bunch of gear just because nothing was covered we had like flour caked and everything and we were like it who cares just gear, <laughs> but then it's the next yeah. show. Yeah. Right, exactly. We all we got, got free gear, gear back then, you know. We all got That's free right. gear. Yeah. When you talk about such a huge tour, and like you mentioned, they kept adding, adding uh, dates to it, and adding you know, the buzz is growing. Did did uh, people that you admired, famous people, other kind of musicians that you looked up to, uh, show up at the shows to hang out f- from time to time? I, I don't um, recall a whole lot, a little bit. I think. I don't remember. I don't remember a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so you never had an Eddie Van Halen moment uh, showing up or anything like that? Well, I do remember Rob Halford coming out when we played Phoenix. Yeah, the metal god. He came out to see the show. Yeah, I remember that. That was a cool, I remember that show, man. That was a, that was a really cool, that was the Sky Amphitheater in Phoenix. I remember that yep. one. That was yeah. I think it was like 110 degrees at nine o'clock at night. It was in the shade. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. It's, remember, it was a dry heat. It was dry. It's it was dry. dry. <laughs> a lot of cold beer on stage, so it's all good. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you guys are traveling like this with three bands, traveling by bus, gig after gig, sometimes buses break down gear gets lost things like that happen did you guys make every single show on the tour every single band yeah we did. i think i think we did yeah i don't recall missing any shows for any issues yeah by wow. that time we, we we paid for the we paid well for a bus that wasn't going to break down right <laughs> i think somebody's air conditioning might have gone out on that tour it wasn't ours thankfully but yeah. uh, we've had buses where the air conditioner went out before and that, that, that oh hell. yeah there's always, always the worst. issues with buses, one sort or another. But I don't recall missing any shows. No, man, nothing went wrong. <laughs> Great, <laughs> that's amazing. Nothing yeah. went wrong in the five months you right. did the tour. It just seemed, yeah, it seemed like we had again, you know, getting back to it, 
we had so the momentum and it seemed like we had uh, for for all of the debauchery and devilish things we were doing god was definitely looking down on all three bands and the crews because we you know, we had you know every show it seemed like every show was beautiful weather like, again like i said it was a summer traveling barbecue rock show circus freak show everything you could ever imagine and i say that anything you can imagine because i learned things on that tour that i didn't think were possible to learn uh, and, uh, and, and i'd been on tour already for you know again like seven months already so it was just man it was again and i say this with you know uh, the the you know the heaviest of hearts and the fact of how much it means and the fact that the coolest thing i will say now dude is when we all get together and i think pj bill and eric I'll agree to this. When we're all together, we have a, a bond that we don't that we can't share with any other band except the three of us because we were on this magical tour together and we still have inside jokes that when we see each other, you remember how many of you guys remember? Hey man, did you guys make that phone call? Yeah. Can I borrow your phone booth. Can I borrow your phone booth. You know, we have all these inside jokes and we still like anytime we see each other. Like I could see Bill, I saw Bill on the Monsters of Rock cruise and the um you know, and 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 uh, Michael, and we don't even have to say anything. We just look at each other and we start laughing. <laughs> <laughs> well, there were a lot of great quotes that came out of that era. Uh, yeah, you know, and J Janie had a lot of great ones, and uh, one of the ones that I remember that was so great was um, he would go over the curfew, and there were these massive fines for if you went over your curfew at these venues because a lot of more union halls yeah, it's like a thousand dollars a minute or something oh. yeah, and Janie would say to the audience hey you know we're we're over we're over curfew we're gonna get fined but that's okay it's just a wristwatch to me yeah. <laughs> i always thought that was gold <laughs> yeah, yeah, bastard, about, do, you, yeah. do you know how many times i've been called perverted juvenile <laughs> 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 Let's. When you, it's funny too. We have to bring it up when you mentioned. Uh, you know, can I borrow your phone booth? Just how much different touring? Because uh, I know even for for me, you know, traveling the states in wrestling in the mid '90s, just how different touring and being on the road was then than it is now. Even though it was the early '90s, it might as well have been the '50s as far as no cell phone, no computers, no internet, no none of those things. Calling cards, yeah. man. Calling cards. Yeah. Yeah, I thank God they didn't have uh, cell phones, cameras back then. Jesus. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you, you used to have to go and you used to have to pull the bus over to make a phone call. You're like, hey, man, uh, can you pull over? We need. I need to make a phone call. It's like, remember that? Yeah. Oh, well, gosh, yeah. Well, like you said, yeah. just how much trouble uh, you get into now because of cell phone cameras. The worst invention ever. Uh, One of the biggest differences nowadays, I think, for, for all of us is that we don't get on a bus anymore. We get on a plane. And the thing that's right. great about a bus is that you leave when you're ready to leave, whenever you want to leave. With a plane, that flight's at 6 o'clock in the morning, and sometimes it's an hour and a half away from the venue you're playing, and you got a gig you know, the night before and then another gig the following night. So, you, you know, you're up at 2 a.m., and there's no sleep anymore. Whereas at least back then, you could decide whether, hey, do I want to party or do I want to sleep? Now, if, mm -hmm. if you want to party, you're really going to suffer. So uh, it's, it's yeah, exactly. quite a, bit, a, it's, a it's a commitment if you're going <laughs> <laughs> to. Yeah. 
yeah th- there's something there's something magical uh steve keeps touching on it but when you get on that tour bus with your band and you're traveling you know down the highway at you know two in the morning listening to tunes or just having conversations and solving all the world's problems and then of course you wake up the next day and forgot all the solutions because you're hung over <laughs> But there's something there's something cool to that that uh, that you can't replace. It is. It's a second. It's they always you know we always refer to it. It's our second family because there is such a, a bonding, you know, and especially the bus is the place where it gets reinforced. You know, I mean, you're literally living in the same airspace with these guys, and it's you know you're going through it all, and you know and like we said before, I mean, it, that went between all the bands and, and crew and everything on this tour. But, but yeah, I mean, when you're, when you're on a bus together, man, you're again, you're solving the world's problems. Or if you, if you're in the confessional in the captain's chair next to the, next to the bus driver, telling them your darkest oh, yeah. secrets you know, at three in the morning, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's uh it's something, it's, it's an experience for sure. Yeah. Yeah. When the bus driver is your only friend on the bus, Right. Up there. <laughs> Four in the morning. I love you, man. I love you. you Those try. guys don't understand. Yeah. Those guys. Well, one of the best moments we had was what did we have, PJ? 31 days of watching Spinal Tap every night on our tour oh. bus. Oh, yeah. Well, Steve used yep. to always, you know, come up to me before we went on especially in Boston, and he'd say, now, don't worry about it. It's not a big college town. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Talk about the most quotable movie. Oh, <laughs> Let me ask you this, uh, PJ and Steve and, and Bill. I know that, that Trickster had gone on tour with, with Kiss and Scorps and that sort of thing, and, and uh, Firehouse, not as many. But did you learn from, from Warrant and, and from Janie Lane and seeing – because it seems like you guys were kind of more on the same level – uh, maybe age-wise, and you know, Kiss and Scorpions are huge in the '70s. But when you go on tour with Warrant, they're guys that are similar ages as you. Did you learn from them at all about what to do on tour and and how to treat people? Yeah, you know, we we um we realized it was cool to see a headlining band. Like again, everyone that we had toured with had been cool, but here we are in a position with here's the headliner, but they're really just like one of us. And it, it really kind of put a different perspective on the illusion of what the headlining act was and, you know, how it could be, you know, hey, we can all just be on the same level here. And even uh, as far as musically and uh, performance wise, I mean, Warren put on, I mean, I say to this day, as great as they are and as great as people think they are and know they are such a underrated band and Janie Lane such an underrated frontman. I mean he gave us I think instilled a little bit more of that looseness and party on stage and kind of loosened it up a little bit we were I mean we're all jacked and full of piss and vinegar and you know you know sport mentality like let's go kick some fucking ass you know but Lane brought a little bit more of that you know he talked to the crowd like he was talking to one person, you know, it wasn't, Hey, let me fucking hear you, everybody. You know I mean? He really connected on a different level. And I think he inspired, you know, not only Pete and CJ as front men, but I think everyone in the bands and just watching them every night. 
he um at the end of of like I said, watching the the Lafayette pay per view right before you guys do fight for right to party, does this little speech to the audience, and it's not cheesy and it's very genuine. And I, I'm a big fan of Jane Lane as a songwriter, as a singer, as a frontman. What was he like around this time, Eric? Was he at kind of at the peak of his powers? Yeah, he was definitely a lot of fun to to hang around with and be on tour with for sure. He uh, he liked to party. He liked to have a lot of fun. He loved the fans. He loved hanging out with fans, the other bands. It was a great time to be in a band with with Janie. That's for sure. And uh, he felt really comfortable on stage. We've been touring, we, you know, for quite a while. We did 262 shows for our first album and. Probably already done a hundred shows before we started this particular one. So we have you know a few hundred shows at a, a you know a professional level. Not to mention the thousands of club shows he had done before that. But he had a real rapport on stage and he liked to have a good time. And it was really cool. He was my you know we used to be roommates um, when we first started out. We lived together in an apartment. So we've been you know good friends, best friends for a long time. So I just you know it was just so natural for me just to be hanging out with Jane. You know every night him singing and. He was the ringleader of our circus, that's for sure. Yep. Oh, yeah. Competitive as f- too. Like, again, going back to, we would, I don't, what was it, a baseball game or something like that you guys had in the back lounge? And so many nights, me and him would get into these games and to be like, Janie, come on, the runner's leaving. Setting them back. Me and PJ had a nail biter going on here. And we would go, we would show up to the bar an hour late. I'm like, Lane, let's just go. Come on, dude. Let's No, we're finishing this game. <laughs> would not end it <laughs> yeah i mean he was a huge sports fan too and he he always had video games i remember in his house you know and our first album was out he just he just loved to play video games at home on tour and uh sports too he's a huge from ohio man he was a huge huge buckeyes fan browns all that and if, if the buckeyes were playing and it's nine o'clock and we're supposed to be on stage and it's nine ten and it, it, it's in the fourth quarter. He's, he's going to stay and watch the game till the end. He doesn't, he doesn't give a shit. <laughs> Crazy, like he's a uh, very competitive, loves sports. Do you feel he's, he's underrated kind of in the, uh, in the pantheon of rock and roll, especially from that era, Eric? Uh, I think I'm a little too close to it. You know, I've seen thousands of people just, you know, adore him and compliment him and love him and, so from my point of view, he's just, you know, had millions of fans and millions of people still listen to his songs and music and, and videos every year. So I don't know. I mean, may, uh, amongst our peers, uh, definitely, probably, but amongst music loving fans, uh, not at all. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Bill, what did you learn from uh, from Warren and from Janie Lane on this tour, being being one of your first big ones? I, the first thing is that you can go out there and have a great time and still sound great every night and be great musicians and not rely on backing tracks. You know, a lot of bands that were headlining at the time had this, this pressure to go out and sound great every night, and they couldn't do it, and so they had to fly in all their background vocals, whereas 
and their lead vocals and you know other elements and they didn't do that and um so you know i i was i learned you know you got to get out there and you got to kick ass you got to practice you got to write great songs but how to treat people also they treated their crew guys really well their crew guys respected the band but the band didn't put themselves over the crew like you know we're here the band cometh you know it was all like these other guys have said it's it was all a big family and so when we showed up on the first day we were intimidated as hell but we were welcome with open arms to to come in and be a part of this and you know eric hey here's my rig here's what i'm using and here's my guitars what are you using and um you know and that that was really broke the ice you know for me because i was so nervous to open up for warrant and trickster and uh, everybody was just like bros immediately so that's i guess one of the main things is that we've learned mm. is try to be like warrant when you have an opening act because um, you know, the, the feeling that these guys get when even when we're playing a club and somebody's opening up for us, they might not feel like, you know, you're a normal guy, but we're really just normal, pe normal people. And we want to, we want them to sound good too. You know, so that's the way it was. Last few questions for you guys. Um, we mentioned these, this, this tour being so successful, the time frame and drawing 30, 40,000 people at certain shows. Where did all those people go so quickly in your opinion? Good question. Because when the bottom... When the bottom fell out, it was quick. Yeah, I think uh, out of sight, out of mind for Warrant. You know, we put out our next record and started to go out on tour. And we just didn't have the support from radio. We didn't have support from MTV. We didn't have support from the label. And, uh, you know, and then obviously other things were happening. And the industry, other bands were popping. So it was a bit bit shocking how quickly uh, right. you can disappear, <laughs> so to speak. I mean, it was a well, transition time. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it, the people were still there. It was just the marketing was not there for us, in, in my opinion. So we still were putting out music that we think was viable. But to get to those people and let them know, hey, we've got a new album, that was the hard part. And um, all the gatekeepers shut down bands from our genre. And we're not playing bands that sound like that anymore. So that's that's yeah. what was really tough. So where did they go? I, uh, I you know... I think they're still there. I think a lot of them, you know, started listening maybe to country because some of the country stations were playing, you know, good time rock and roll songs, even though it had a fiddle in it. And, uh, but that was what mm -hmm. was on the radio and, and a lot of, and then the MP3 came and then, uh, you know, and then everything changed again. So it's, it's been, it's been a, a definitely a, a navigational education for all of us to figure out how to get to our fans. Cause they're still out there. I think Steve, uh, Chris, what do we what did i learn from warrant no, no pay attention <laughs> what the hell are you writing a song right now jeez yeah. man yeah jeez i said i said where, where did all those people go that were so excited to see the blood sweat and beers tour oh man it was you know we all know it was look whatever genre of music you go back to the 40s the 50s the 60s when some big movement of music or entertainment becomes so big and so popular, the bubble's going to burst. And that's what, I mean, ultimately that's what happened. I was just thinking about it when you guys were talking, I was wondering 
we should have kept that tour going. It might have, if we, if we would, we went on for another couple months. I don't know if we could have, but, you know, I talked to Phil Collin a lot about, you know, he always says to me, you know, we should have kept the Hysteria tour going because, you know, it took a year for Hysteria to take off. So what if we mm-hmm. kept the Blood, Sweat and Beers tour going and just kept playing? Maybe not. Maybe the grunge never would have happened. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! It's Warren Trickster and Firehouse. It's 1992. It's 93. They're still <laughs> playing. This is the longest tour in history. Keep blocking. Yeah, we might have kept it going, you know. But um, look, man, it was one of those things to where, and again, PJ tells this story, and I, I say it all the time, and I remember it like yesterday going to geffen records in october 1991 we were about to headline with warren firehouse the uh universal amphitheater was the end of the blood sweat and beers tour the our old radio guy this guy bill bennett this industry legend god rest his soul he was the president he was our guy at mca records and he had just become the president of geffen records and we went into his office and I remember this like it was yesterday. He goes, guys, I want you to hear this new band that we got that sort of, they're starting to blow up at radio. And he played us Nirvana. And it was like, man, I remember saying, oh, man, it sounds like Cheap Trick and Black Sabbath. And he, you know, he just kind of went, he just kind of went, yeah, you know, but they're blowing up. And he told us a story. They had to pay 20 grand to another uh, band that had the name Nirvana. And then, uh, and then he gave us the swag bag, and which I still had until years ago, which was that original, you know, Nirvana T-shirt. But that was it, and it was one of those things to where we all came back from that tour, and we started making a new record. Warrant made their, you know, we we all made fantastic follow-up records. But you know, look, we all could have made Sergeant Pepper, and it wouldn't have mattered because the bottom line is the last of the vegans in that. Uh, he said, can somebody turn the fan off? <laughs> somebody take the lavalier, somebody that's take my, their lavalier mic that's off. A, that's a hair, it's a hair dryer. Oh, yeah. my, I'm doing my hair right now. Just try not to point, try not to point it at the mic. But, um, you know, again, it was, we were the last of the Mohegans and that was it. And I will say, you know, to end it, what a hell of a way we ended it with the biggest party in in you know hard rock and uh, hey whatever hair metal 80s metal history we were the last of it and we you know man we we did it and we did it in grand style and uh you know all the 80s gods and all the guys who aren't with us anymore they're looking down on us going you you motherfuckers did it and we certainly did i say that the uh the, the 90s grunge bands took our flannel shirts and hung us with them <laughs> totally. My yeah. flannel shirt now, mother. My flannel shirt. You guys are way ahead of the game. Last question for you. It's a it's a twofold one. What's your favorite song from the other two bands on this tour? So PJ, what's your favorite Firehouse song? And what's your favorite Warrant song? I think oh, all she wrote. All she wrote, and uh, maybe Uncle Tom's Cabin. How about you, Bill? Oh, give it to me good and. Man, I'm I'm a sucker for a great ballad. I'll say heaven. All right, Steve. Uh, for Firehouse, Overnight Sensation, the opener. I always love the way they open the show, and uh, you know, just to, and I knew that when when they went on, it was almost time for us. So I'd be there, you know, starting to put on my warm up guitar. But love that. 
And then for Warren, definitely it was uh, Mr. Rainmaker on that tour. Uh, that song just really and and yep. again, getting back to Janie and the Warrant guys, man. I, I just was such a fan of I love their records. And I remember the first time I hung out with those guys was at Brett Michaels' house when you guys were making Cherry Pie. And I remember hanging out with Janie and him giving me, telling me all about them making the record. And But that song, Mr. Rainmaker and Overnight mm. Sensation for Firehouse, that I did every night just, you know, just blew me away. How about you, Eric? Yeah, you know, I guess I'm a sucker for the hits, too. Give It To Me Good was a great video. That was the first time I saw you know, Trickster or Heard a Trickster, great song, cool video. And uh, Firehouse has a, a bunch of great songs, too. I'd have to say Overnight Sensation. I mean, I like I like songs that a little more on the hard rock side. For sure, for sure. I'll do Shake and Tumble. Although I did used to use Overnight Sensation as my ring entrance music, Bill. Oh, thanks, man. In about, yeah, in about 91, 92. It's got that great riff. And then as soon as the, the, the scream comes in, I run out through the curtain, this hot young baby face <laughs> and uh <laughs> rainmaker is a f- great song steve that's that's exactly uh that's my choice as well although doggy dog's a great record too eric congratulations on that for sure yeah thank you no yeah. guys what a pleasure we've been m- meaning to do this for for a while and i'm glad we we're able to get on on the phone here and uh, talk about uh, one of the greatest rock tours of all time and hey listen when we get out of listen i feel like paul stanley listen <laughs> oh yeah when we Oh yeah! When we get out of this uh, virus and people can go back to seeing some rock and roll, you guys should maybe do Blood, Sweat, and Beer's uh, thirty-year anniversary tour. I'd love to. What do you think? Yeah, you can. Yeah, we like the sound of that. Yeah, we we love that. See, there you go. I'll I'll take ten percent from all your uh, all your wages for that. Like we were going to give you fifty. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna have to come out on the road with us and be the MC though. That would be the only way to make it really uh, that much more spectacular. But uh, I'll be like the guy that introduced you, the one, the only. Come out, the, the, come the out mighty and Steve every night on <laughs> the stage. mighty trickster. Yeah. Yeah. that would be awesome. Thanks, dudes. Thanks what for a great time. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Stay, stay safe, guys. guys. Yeah, thanks for great. having us on. 